Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Green Knight. Sir Gawain and The Green Knight was written by an anonymous author and was written down probably around the year 1400. No one knows for sure. Wow, that, that's definitely a first for us. Yeah. And the film adaptation was directed by David Lowery and came out this year, 2021. Yeah, and this is such an exciting one to do because up until this point, our oldest adaptation yeah. was Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. We did uh, The Taming of the Shrew. Yes, uh, but this one beats Shakespeare by what? Like a couple uh, About hundred, 200 years. A couple hundred years, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be excited to find out maybe when we uh, do a Bible adaptation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that could be the oldest of all, definitely. But yeah, this is so interesting for a couple different reasons. Um, One is the fact that this manuscript, um, we don't know who wrote it. Yeah. The author is unknown. Uh, They have been called the Gawain poet or uh, the Pearl poet as well. Where does that come from? Do you know the Pearl Poet? So, um, interesting. I want to talk a little bit about the history of the manuscript. Yes, So, another really interesting thing about this story is that it was undiscovered for quite a long time. Mm. And by undiscovered, I mean that it kind of was hidden away for many, many years. So, this was the person who wrote these stories, because there's multiple. Mm, Okay. Um, There's several poems and, you know, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is one of them. And they were all in the same manuscript. So there's like four or five different ones. One of them is called Pearl. I see. And they were written down by someone other than the person who wrote them. Mm -hmm. So somebody, you know, wrote it down and they were all in one manuscript. And then this manuscript was in the possession of like a couple different noble families for years and years and years Mm -hmm. and they weren't really like this one single manuscript is all that survives yeah i knew it was just like one like actual copy and it has all of them in it because i mean this like predates like the printing press and and everything absolutely and it wasn't really discovered until queen victoria's time so the 1800s wow so for 400 years this manuscript kind of was just in somebody's personal collection yeah. A couple different people, actually. Just like um, on their coffee table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's some, you know, noble person's like family library, probably. Yeah. And I think the person who had it also had a couple different rare manuscripts as well. And it's also worth noting that Beowulf, which is even older than the Gawain story. Oh, really? Okay. Um, There's also only one surviving manuscript of wow. that as well. That's fascinating. I didn't know that about Beowulf. Yeah. And when you think about it, like these stories were meant to be told verbally, like orally out loud. Um, So the fact that we have them written down at all, it's really awesome. Um, But it's just super fascinating because since this work didn't really emerge until the 1800s, it's relatively new in terms of like the cultural canon and also like scholars kind of analyzing it. And um, yeah, it just has a really fascinating history. Well, it's really funny because I read this story, I'm certain, at least twice yeah. in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. I'm surprised that you read it in high school because I didn't read this until college. See, I'm pretty sure what we read was an abridged version because I have a feeling I think it was in like our actual English textbook. I see. 
Um, I really don't remember a lot about it. I saw, I thought it was like super boring, uh-huh. which is why I think I remember specifically reading it twice because it came up again. And I was like, <laughs> God damn it, this story again. And I'm pretty sure it was one of those stories where it was probably like just a reading comprehension thing where he read it and they were like, what color was the Green Knight's costume? Was it red, <laughs> blue, or green? Um... Yeah, so I, I have read this story before, and it's funny because I remember when the first trailer for this movie came out. Yeah. I was like, oh, really? Like a, a new adaptation of the... Okay. And I watched the trailer, and it's so funny because something just clicked in my head mm-hmm. where I'm like, this is actually a really fucking awesome story. <laughs> like the 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 bones of it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like the concept of it and seeing it, at least even just hinted at and kind of like vaguely shown in this trailer I was like immediately excited for this movie yeah Uh, I mean we'll talk about it more later but I remember really loving this um, when I read it in class and it was also a really enjoyable experience to read again I'm glad you had a good one yeah well I mean you know, it it, really depends on the teacher I had a lot of bad high school (laughs) teachers who like didn't teach me jack shit and (laughs) just made me not like any of the books we read or stories so uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it at the time. Yeah, but let's talk a little bit about the movie. And I mean, I'm sure most of you will be aware of the fact that like the Sir Gawain and the Green Knight manuscript, I mean, it's relatively short. I wouldn't say it's like a really uh, short poem, but it doesn't have a ton of detail for like the movie to draw on. So the movie adds a lot. Yes. Yeah, quite, quite a bit of meat to the story that the poem only just like vaguely alludes to. Yeah. Uh, The movie begins in such an interesting way with this visual of uh, Sir Gawain. And we should say right up front. Yeah. There is no um, agreed upon pronunciation. No. uh, From the one intro. And by the way, we both read different. Yeah. I should have mentioned that. Translations. Translations. We did not read this in the original Middle English. Um, (laughs) I read the translation by Marie Baroff and Ian read the translation by uh, Simon Armitage. Yeah. Uh, And Simon Armitage gave a great introduction and specified like, especially in the poem, like based on like the cadence or rhythm or rhyming, sometimes Gawain Sounds right. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes it's Gawain. Yeah. And even Garwin. Yeah. Which the movie actually uses a couple times at mm-hmm. least. Um, so, yeah. So, there's, so, so if we jump around at all. Don't yell at us. We're not wrong. <laughs> You're never wrong when you say any version of Gawain. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the beginning of this movie, we get this really creepy voiceover. Yeah. Uh, kind of talking about like the like Arthurian legends, mm-hmm. the well-known ones about the king and the stone or the sword and the stone. Yeah. But this is not that legend. This is not that king. And we later find out that this voice is the voice of the Green Knight. Yeah. Or, but we don't know it yet. Or um, who's Arthur's wife I'm, I'm blanking on? Guinevere? Yeah. When she's like possessed. Yeah. Kind of by the Green Knight and speaking like it has that kind of like vocal weirdness mm-hmm. to it. Um. But yeah, and so as this voiceover is going, we get this visual of Gawain sitting in uh, the like the room of the round table as this crown descends on his head. And then his head catches on fire. His head's on fire, <laughs> which is kind of like, I don't know, this enlightenment metaphor is how I took it. Anyway, yeah. I think that's kind of a visual associated with I that. I thought it was a, an association w- between like sin 
and like purity and like the devil and temptation. Mm, maybe. Yeah, see, I don't think it's supposed to be like evil, mm-hmm. even though it like seems really ominous. Like I think it's more supposed to be like enlightenment or something. Interesting. I could be wrong though. <laughs> and he's like balancing things on his arms. It's a very cool, interesting pose. Yeah. Uh then it cuts to these kind of random shots of like farm animals as we get the opening credits. Yeah. And then eventually we're introduced <laughs> to uh Gawain, which is uh played by Dev Patel. And our first introduction to Gawain is he's in a whorehouse. Yep. He's just been having sex with a whore. Um, and it's Christmas morning and this woman who he's been sleeping with, uh, who's a sex worker, nothing wrong with that. Uh, her name is Essel. Yes. Uh, according to the IMDb, but like, I don't think they ever say. Yeah, I, I never caught it if they did. Yeah. They, they also whisper a lot. We had to turn on the subtitles <laughs> partway through. I'm like, stop whispering. Why must you whisper? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And we kind of get this like. Immediate understanding that, like, you know, it may be romance between them. There's at least, like, a closeness between them. Yeah. And, you know, Gawain's kind of kind of hobbling out, like, getting his clothes on, kind of doesn't seem to have his, like, shit together. Yeah, he's clearly not the most noble knight, I'll just say that. Well, and actually... I don't even think he's a knight at this point. Yeah, you're right. I think in this movie, he's not a knight yet. I don't think that's super clear until like much later on. Yeah. In like a flash forward scene, we see him being knighted. Mm-hmm. Um, Which makes us understand his motives a little more. I wish they would have established that in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, because if you've read the story, you assume that it's Sir Gawain, you know, that's yeah. literally the title of the manuscript. But yeah, he's not a knight yet. And... It seems like he has a lot to prove, but he's also just kind of shitty. Like, he doesn't want to go to church. He stumbles into his mom's house and is kind of a mess. Like, he's a drunk. Um, So, I don't know. There's a lot going on with uh, Gawain in the movie right now. Yes. Uh, He is the nephew of King Arthur and also the son of Morgan Le Fay. Which is, which is a movie thing, yeah. Yeah, the film. I've heard the director talk about this, and he was saying how originally um, there were there was a mother character separate from a Morgan Le Fay character, mm-hmm. and then at some point he decided to merge these characters, and he thought there was like a lot of interesting um, aspects to her like motivations when he kind of did it that way. Yeah. Which I can see. I, I think it is. It is interesting, yeah. especially the fact that like, in both the manuscript, the book, and the movie, like, Gawain is Arthur's nephew, right? Yes. And we know that Arthur's sister in this story is Morgan Le Fay, but in the manuscript, it's, like, Gawain's aunt. Yeah. So, like, there is that family relationship there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... More And I don't know, some people who, you know, are really into Arthurian legends and, and that kind of thing may have, like, issue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of pretty strong detour in the, from the source material. But, yeah, so that's his mother. And the story begins on Christmas Day. Yeah. And he's arriving to the court, uh, the round table for uh, festivities. So this scene is interesting in the movie, I think. We're introduced to Arthur and Guinevere in the movie here. And contrary to popular images of Arthur in his round table, King Arthur is very old mm. in this movie. Yes. And yeah. so is his queen Guinevere. Um, they're clearly advanced in age. 
And it seems like Arthur is kind of like his his reign is in decline. He's mm-hmm. in decline. There's this definite sense of like transition. And then we also see him trying to bond more with Gawain and being like, you're my you know, nephew. I really want to see you succeed. Like, why don't you sit next to me in this place of honor for this feast? Yeah. Do you think when he says, take this seat, its owner won't be around? Do you think that's like Lancelot? He's referring it could be. to. It could be a reference to Lancelot. I mean, it could be oh, just a reference to the fact that like he has no apparent heirs. Mm, that's a good point. Too. And um, is looking for a replacement. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think of that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and this is a good scene kind of establishing that like Gawain does have a lot of admiration for Arthur. Yeah. This is a big honor for him to kind of like sit with him. A chance to prove himself. Yeah. And, and so we're kind of seeing a little bit of you know, maybe what's going on with Gawain's character here. Uh, This tender moment between them is interrupted by the introduction of the Green Knight in the movie. Yes. And let's talk about the look of the Green Knight in the movie, because he is a tree. (laughs) He he is a big tree man. Uh, Very uh, Tolkien reminiscent, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I'm sure Tolkien was inspired by this manuscript in several ways. Uh, But... It feels like a tree beard, tree beard thing. Yes. And another interesting tie into the arrival of the Green Knight in the film is that we get this kind of intersection of, you know, Arthur's giving his Christmas speech and we are also seeing uh, his mother, Morgan Le Fay, doing this very pagan magic ritual. Yeah. I think the intercutting of this scene is so cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. And once again, the director, I I you know, saw a video of him talking about how he's fascinated with handwriting. Yeah. And just writing in general. And so like this spell, a lot of it is just uh, Morgan Le Fay writing this note. I love her being like blindfolded for part of it. It's very sinister. Yes. And like they burn the letter and the moment it burns is like immediately when the doors of the court are kind of burst open. Yeah. And then the Green Knight gives that same letter. Yes. To the king and Guinevere ends up reading it. So Morgan Le Fay is very up, like everyone knows she's responsible for the Green Knight showing up. And Mm -hmm. like she hints at this vaguely to uh, Gawain when he leaves. Yeah. About like, why don't you tell me what you uh, see today? You go to the feast and tell me how it goes. Like if anything (laughs) weird happens, I don't know. If a tree person Why would anything weird happen? I'm just saying, if it does, (laughs) tell me about it. (laughs) Uh, And... Yeah, so Morgan Le Fay, and, and I was also curious to how much Arthur is in on this. Yes. And even what the plot is. Mm-hmm. Um, because like Arthur on that day being like, hey, or uh, not, uh, hey, Gawain, why don't you like take a seat right next to me and kind yeah. of be like up front and like, it almost feels like he's being set up by Arthur as well. Yes. But the Green Knight shows up, the costume, it's all practical. Mm-hmm. It all looks really sweet. It does. And um, the the actor who is behind the makeup, Ralph Innocent, really great uh, character actor. Yes. I think he's got a really good gravelly voice. Mm-hmm. And I think he just does a lot with the physicality of the character, too. I agree. You can really feel how, like, creaky wooden he is. Yeah. Which is fun. And, of course, he lays um, this Christmas game, this challenge um, at Arthur's feet, and it is like kind of like a mix of like a riddle and a game at the same time. Like he kind of is like, you know, strike me 
And then that strike, that same strike will be returned in a year. And in the movie, Arthur is like, hey, I'm old. I can't really do this. Yeah. Is there anyone who could possibly help me? Are there any strapping (laughs) young boys in my near vicinity (laughs) who would like to do this? And of course, Gawain is like, "I, I will take this on. You just sat me next to you. It would look really awkward if I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) God, I'm in the hot seat now. Yeah. I really like the way this plays out, though, um, because I think in the book, it's all kind of straightforward. Like when Gawain takes on the challenge, he understands it. It plays out kind of, you know, in a way that makes sense. But in the film, when he stands up, Arthur's like, do you understand what you're agreeing to in the rules. And he goes, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, you, I d- you don't. <laughs> He's like, I think. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, it seems like he's preparing for a fight. Yeah. But then suddenly when the Green Knight lays his axe down and presents his neck, he's like really uncomfortable. Not sure what to do. Yeah. And is like, I mean, I don't want to just behead this tree man like in front of everyone but nobody's giving him anything like he's looking around yeah he's like, i mean what what do you think guys and everyone's <laughs> just like mm, i don't know and so he does he uh takes excalibur actually from arthur yes and beheads the green knight only for the green knight to pick up his head and walk out of there and be like all right see you in a year and then he like laughs maniacally as he rides his horse out of the, the yeah, castle. Yeah. And then there's this like awkward pause and then everyone just starts applauding. <laughs> it's really strange. It is, but also funny because it's kind of like, what else would you do in that like moment in that situation? Yeah, I agree. So <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about how the scene plays out in the poem, in the manuscript. Um, it's New Year's Day instead of Christmas Day. Doesn't really matter. Um, but we have, I mean, Arthur and Guinevere aren't described as being old in this version. No. I'm guessing they're in their prime, which most stories of Arthur take place when Arthur is like strong and he, yeah. he in, in traditional like tales, he does die early, doesn't die of old age. Mm. He dies in battle. Um, so he and his knights are all gathered and Gawain, his nephew, is at a place of honor at his side because, you know, we're led to believe that Gawain has proved himself over and over in battle and in quests with Arthur and that he's a very, like, revered and respectable knight. Yeah, and I I think he, like, is very humble, too, though, because he's like, I'm not the strongest, I'm not the most cunning. Yeah. He's like, I'm just, I'm a decent dude. I'm, like, just a good guy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) People call me a good guy. And then the Green Knight comes in, and different from the movie, Arthur is, like, ready to take up this challenge. Yeah. Like, Arthur really feels like this guy coming in is a direct challenge to his authority as king. And so Arthur is like, okay, I'll do it, and... Gawain is like, actually, I think this might be a trap. Like, this Mm. sounds suspicious. And so why don't I take whatever fallout is going to happen with this so you'll be spared? And this is interesting to me because it does feel like Gawain kind of stepping up and being like, I feel like this is some sinister plot. Yeah. And I want to protect my king and kind of do this for him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely different motivations and kind of like set up with Arthur and and what's going on with the game. Yeah. And then, you know, the Green Knight comes in and 
The Gawain poet like really, really describes people's clothing a lot. Oh yeah. In this manuscript and like how they look. And you know, I think it's all about painting a picture because this is meant to be told verbally, orally, right? Yeah. So you're sitting there and you really want to make people feel like they can see what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's a big reason as to why (laughs) there's so much description, but I just want to read part of it because it's so cool kind of to read about it. Okay. And in guise of all green, the gear and the man, a coat cut close that clung to his sides and a mantle to match made with a lining of furs cut and fitted. The fabric was noble, embellished all with ermine, and his hood beside, that was loosed from his locks and laid on his shoulders. With trim hose and tight, the same tint of green, his great calves were girt and gold spurs under. He bore on silk bands that embellished his heels, and footgear well fashioned for riding most fit, and all his vesture verily was verdant green, both the bosses on his belt and other bright gems, that were richly ranged on his raiment noble." about himself and his saddle set upon silk, that to tell half the trifles would tax my wits. The butterflies and birds embroidered thereon, in green of the gayest with many a gold thread. The pendants of the breastband, the princely crupper, and the bars of the bit were brightly enameled. The stout stirrups were green, that steadied his feet, and the bows of the saddle and the side panels both, that gleamed all and glinted with green gems about. The steed he bestrides of that same green so bright, a green horse great and thick, a headstrong steed of might, embroidered bridle quick, mount match man aright. <laughs> Thank you for taking that on and reading that. So I do want to make, I just want to, you know, kind of maybe talk a little bit about the translations here and some other things about Middle English, but like, um, so we read two different translations. Yes. And I didn't read, I read only a bit of Ian's translation, but I do have to say I prefer the one that I read. Really? Yeah, I think the one that Ian read, the Simon Armitage one, is more accessible. Yeah, he definitely admits to being a little bit more free with the translation and kind of trying to capture more of, like, the vibe than specifically matching the translation. I think if you're really new to this story, it would be good to read the Simon Armitage translation first. But if you want to get like a hint of the Middle English without actually doing the work of reading the Middle English, <laughs> yeah. I would suggest the Marie Baroff translation because she makes it still sound old fashioned. Oh, yeah. And kind of like interesting. I love the cadence and lilt of hers. Um, but it's still you're able to read it and understand but I don't know. I just kind of like how she makes it a little bit old fashioned sounding. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know? for sure. I like just listening to that. I was like, that's definitely not what I read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the 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 version I read was definitely much more taking its liberties. Yeah, uh, but, which I think is important. Yeah, but I did enjoy reading it. Like I did um, think it was a good telling of the story overall. Yeah, I think just like maybe especially reading aloud. And that's something that I want to talk about a little bit here is just Middle English itself. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm trying I'm gonna try not to go too long. I was researching this <laughs> earlier, and I don't know why I just got like really excited about it. No, that's great. I feel like if I could take like a a, a college course on like old and Middle English, that would be so fascinating. Yeah. Because there were you know distinct periods in what we know as the English language. 
So there's, you know, Proto-English and English comes from, you know, old, old Germanic dialects, right? Mm -hmm. And then that Germanic dialect was influenced by Latin. It was influenced by Proto-Norse language and then some French as well. So what became Old English, which is what Beowulf was written in, was dominant probably from around the 5th century to about 1066. Okay. And that language is even less accessible accessible than Middle English is. I can't even imagine, because the version I read did have the original, like the untranslated version of the poem on one page. and then Which is cool. It is cool, because occasionally I would go over and like try to read some of the lines and like, I don't know, you'd pick up a word or two, but you're like, this is unreadable. Yeah. Um, But then in like 1066, with, you know, the invasion of like the Normans into Britain, French was kind of the dominant language for a long time. Okay. So that was like the language of the nobility. And then all the common people still spoke English. Yeah. But they were really starting to borrow a lot from the French and then a bunch of other influences as well. And um, then... Middle English was kind of formed from that. Wow. And it's really interesting, too, because, you know, around the same time that uh, the Sir Gawain story was written was also when Chaucer was writing his stories. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this was actually kind of like a defining moment in English literature where people stopped writing everything in French and Mm. were like, let's let's go back to English. Like English is cool, too, (laughs) because French was like kind of the dominant, the the fancy, the noble, the academic, the legal language. And then, you know, these poets, these writers were like, no, we're going to, you know, tell these tales in the common tongue. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense, too. Like you mentioned, like these are kind of stories that were meant to more be told verbally. Yes. So them being written in English, a more accessible mm-hmm. writing style kind of makes sense for that. Yeah. And then um, around like Shakespeare's time was when the late to uh, modern English happens. So we have old English, we have middle English, and then we have late English. I see. Which is so bizarre to me because like Shakespeare's only like 200 years after this story, mm-hmm. but like we read that in its original form. Yeah, yeah. And we can, like we have to look up a bunch of stuff, but uh-huh. we can, whereas this poem is like kind of indecipherable um, for us to actually read in its original form. Yeah, if you tried to read this, like in the way we read Shakespeare, it's just like every other w- word would have like a different asterisk and you'd be like yeah. referring to like a bottom <laughs> thing like every two seconds. But I mean, at this time too, you know, in the Shakespeare time is when like the printing press was invented. So that really standardized a lot of stuff yeah. that wasn't standardized before. So I think that went a long way for making things like kind of the same. And so, yes, things are different now, but we still kind of have that written standardization Um, And before we move on, I do just want to talk about how um, the Germanic um, poetry and oral tradition is highly alliterative. Mm, Okay. Uh, You might have read uh, about it in the introduction, but the poems, like these epic poems like Beowulf and uh, Gawain are not rhyming. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's alliterative informed by design so not just the first parts of the syllables repeating but just kind of sounds repeating in general and that's the whole idea for the poem which when you think about it makes a lot of sense when you're reading it out loud yeah rhyming would too but it kind of just makes each like syllable 
what you're saying sound more dramatic. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. I just watched a video recently bringing it to something like current and modern day, but like about rap and just how like, you know, people just like kind of think of rap as being like just a really basic rhyming. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like with rap music, it's like the cadence of the Mm -hmm. delivery. Sometimes it's just not repeating a word. Yes. Like, you know, consistently or a sound or like the inflection. And Mm -hmm. and it's kind of a similar thing where it's like so much more than just like uh, line A and C and on a rhyme Mm -hmm. line uh, B and D and that, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's really interesting because this was written in the Middle English period. Uh, This poem actually combines the alliterative style from the old Germanic um, poetry and the rhyming poetry that a lot of like French and Latin stuff had. So this poem, the Gawain poem, has the alliteration throughout and then it'll end with... um, like a rhyming uh, quartet of lines. Yes, yeah. Called a, a bob and wheel. Bob and wheel, yes. <laughs> so it's combining, and it makes sense. It's like Middle English. It's combining like these roots in with these new influences, which I find so fascinating. I really did like that. You know, you'd have a lot of unbroken uh, text that kind of reads pretty straightforward. Even and then though, the rhymes. Yeah, and then the rhymes kind of like a, what feels like a little mini poem at the end of each of these sections. And kind of like stopping. It's almost like a stopping point. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did find that very interesting. Okay, that's all I have to say about Middle English and uh, the alliteration of the style. I wish I knew more about this, honestly. Like, uh, Tolkien was actually a Middle an old English scholar. Yeah. And he did a uh, translation of this poem. Um, but I, I've heard it's not like the preferred version, so he didn't end up reading that one. But I know he actually wrote a lot of his stuff for like the Silmarillion and uh, Lord of the Rings and some of his supplementary material in the old alliterative style. Wow. Because he was just so into it. Like, he studied it, and he was like, yes, I love this. (laughs) I'm going to write my own Beowulf, my own Sir Gawain story. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Adina, I just have to congratulate (laughs) you on, I think, making our this episode our most like informative <laughs> about like any one topic <laughs> i did a deep dive into research today i love it i've i've learned so much just in this time alone <laughs> so uh in in the film so in the book you know i think from this point there's kind of a brief interlude before he goes on his quest yeah um but in the film we get a little bit more time with gawain time for kind of all of this to like settle in there's a good scene of him talking with Essel about the events that happened and how he's feeling about everything. Yeah. And similarly, uh, word has kind of spread about his beheading of the Green Knight. Yes, I love this puppet scene. Oh my God, the puppet shows. <laughs> so unsettling. Very creepy. It's Who just are they a bunch for? of people watching this very uh, disgusting <laughs> puppet show of uh, the Green Knight getting beheaded and then... The season's turning and Gawain going to, in turn, be be beheaded as well. No one seems to be enjoying it too much. No. They're more like, I don't know how to feel about this puppet show. (laughs) They're like, what kind of propaganda is the government spreading (laughs) via puppet show? (laughs) It was their primary form of brainwashing the the people. Yes. I do want to talk about this scene, which we get a little bit later in the movie as a flashback, though, where he's with Essel, this, you know, sex worker. 
that he seems to have a relationship with. And she doesn't really want him to go. No. And she's sort of saying, like, this is dumb. Why would you do this? You're going to just, like, get yourself killed. And then she kind of is like, I want you to be more to me than you are. Yeah. And she's like, I want to be your lady. Yeah. If you become king, I want to be there at your side. And she also has a really good line where, like, she's like, are you chasing greatness? And then she's like, why why is greatness better than goodness? Yes. I think she says. Mm -hmm. And kind of like, I think creating like a a very strong, establishing a very strong theme in this story of of morality. Yes. And what it means to be like a knight and noble. And a king. And a king. But like what that actually means in terms of like the way you behave, like not just this very abstract concept of achieving greatness. And, you know, she says something to him like, do you fancy me? Do you like me? And he says, yes, but it's clearly not enough to just do anything about it, which is really sad. And I felt like really depressed at this time because she's, kind of expressing to him what she wants from him. She wants to be loved. She wants to be honored. She wants to be valued. And he's just silent. Yeah. The whole time. And I'm just like, you piece of shit. (laughs) I give this movie a lot of credit, though, because I do think it establishes their relationship really well early on. Um, It is like it establishes their relationship and then what she wants out of it and kind of like where he's at. Because, I mean... This is just the beginning of the story. And when yeah. he leaves for his quest, uh, you know, she's kind of like away from the story for quite a while. So it's like they have to do a lot of legwork here yeah. to establish all this. But I think they do a good job. We also get a scene in the movie of King Arthur visiting uh, Gawain's house and kind of having this discussion with Gawain before he leaves on his journey. Basically saying, like, you have to go. Um, your honor's in question. Yeah. You need to do this. But it is kind of a scene where he is seeming to tell him, like, I want to see you become someone great. Mm-hmm. This is your chance. Yeah. And this is also something that's kind of prominent in the story, mostly from Arthur, because when Gawain first takes up the sword against the Green Knight, he kind of says quietly to him, remember, it's just a game. Yeah. And here... He says it might be just a game, but it's not complete. Yes. Just establishing this idea of like, what is a game? Like, what is what What are the rules? What is this deal that he's gotten himself into? And what are the actual stakes involved? Yeah. And kind of the idea of like, is he actually in any mortal danger in this? Are there actual stakes for him? Or is this all just kind of... Especially with the fact that we know that Gawain's mother is involved. Yes. So we're like, I mean, she probably doesn't want her son to be murdered, right? It's very interesting, too, because, like, the moment at the end of the Green Knight encounter, we get a moment of seeing uh, his mother. Yeah. And she almost seems, like, kind of devastated or upset, And I don't know if she didn't plan for him to actually be the one to, like, take up the challenge. Mm. Like, to me, it looked like she was, like, upset about how things happened. Interesting. So I'm not, once again, like, who's involved in this? What's, like, the actual plan in in the film is pretty abstract and vague throughout. And there's also the question of whether Arthur is in on this plot. Yes. Um, That, you know, he and 
Morgan Le Fay kind of conspired this. One review that I read was like, yeah, you know, uh, a kid who won't get his shit together and move out of his mom's house. And so his mom is like, I know, I'm going to come up with a scheme <laughs> to get his life together. And so oh he'll God. actually make something of himself. And I'm like, I can see that. That's really funny. <laughs> I love that. That's so... Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it could have been her plan all along for him to be the one to take on this quest. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it is just, It is vague. It was just that one moment that it seemed like it wasn't her plan. Yeah. Uh, so around this time, too, before he's leaving, his mother gives him a green sash, a mm-hmm. girdle, and we see them, like, carve a rune or, like, a token. Yeah. Some kind of magical item and kind of hide it in this belt. Yes. And she tells him before he leaves... This will protect you. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's not like this is magic and will literally protect you. It's to me, it feels more just like. Yeah, but does he know his mom's a witch? Yeah, I, I think his reaction isn't. It seems like, OK, thanks, mom. Yeah. It, it, like, he, thanks it, for the lunch, mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like licking her hand and like, you know, yeah. fixing his hair. <laughs> But once again, that, yeah, that, that too is a little vague in terms of like what he knows about that. Yeah. To me, I don't think he actually is thinking it's like a magical belt, mm-hmm. um, but it could be up for interpretation. Yeah. We don't get any of this in the book. Instead, we get a lengthy scene where uh, the author describes Gawain getting like suited up for his journey. My biggest question <laughs> And I wanted to look this up, but it seemed like a, a, a big job and I didn't have time in the <laughs> long run. But I'm like, did would would a knight really just travel for days and days and days and just wear his armor all the time? It's a quest, Ian. You must be prepared. I mean, <laughs> like it implies that he just has like chain mail and his armor and his helmet and like his shield and like the whole get up like everything <laughs> like everything he owns is on him i don't know and then he sets off for this long journey like i always like would think of like a night like i mean we, we get like the the monty python thing where it's yeah. like okay they're in just armor all the time okay like that's the you know but like i thought in real life like okay they'll suit up for battle but in this depiction, it's like, no, of course, he wore the armor <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. He ate I mean, in his armor. He shit in his armor. It could have been, like, protection. You know what I mean? Like, people knew not to fuck with him. I guess. But, oh, my God. Like, he probably went for, like, days and days at a time without ever running into anyone. Yeah, Can possibly. you imagine how much armor chafes? <laughs> well, we don't know because the story doesn't really give us any part of his journey. But I will say, I want to talk about, like, just a... It, brief moment about um the pentangle oh the pentangle yeah which is the five-pointed star and this uh combination like this number fascination of five so like gawain is supposed to have like oh god what are they like it's like five virtues the five virtues the five uh wounds of christ the five joys of mary and then there's like there's five of five is basically the idea i see so it's five to the power, you know, like there's five of five. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, the numerical significance is important. And it's interesting, the pentangle, which is just a five pointed star, was kind of this 
like almost spiritual symbol and this idea of like it is kind of like continuous so you could keep making it like over and over and it doesn't end sort of like the circle which is infinite Mm -hmm. but it also has like all these points so you know math (laughs) yeah and (laughs) it's so funny because the book is just like and then he went on his journey and he ran into some wolves and there were some fights and, and some animals yeah. and there were bandits and like there were some giants too. Like he fought some giants and um, but, you know, things were fine. And then he got to a castle. Yeah, they're like, you don't want to hear about all that. And I'm like, I mean, kind of. And then the author's like, oh, let me describe this castle for you. OK, <laughs> I don't think you're hearing me. Let me describe the castle and its linens <laughs> and its costumes and, and the beds. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to the meat of the story. <laughs> it's just it's wild because this is where and i think rightfully so the film is like this is where a lot of the story is in this part that's just so glossed over Mm -hmm. in the poem yeah we get so much more in the movie we see gawain not in his full armor no uh, no heading off on his quest and he comes upon this boy in this field of this great battle that had must have happened recently where there's like tons of corpses. I'm guessing this guy is just like kind of grave robbing. Yeah. He says his like brothers were there. It's a very awkward, interesting, like he's kind of an odd kid. Yeah. And I say kid, he's like probably in his twenties, but he's, he comes across as very young. Yeah. And I love this shot in the film. It's this really long unbroken shot of this interaction as Gawain is like riding his horse. Yeah. And he happens to mention uh, the the green chapel and and the kid is like oh if you there's a, I know about a green chapel if you go down to that stream like, yeah f- follow the stream down for like a day or so like you'll come across it mm-hmm. and it's interesting because as Gawain's leaving he kind of is like what like is that not worth anything to you yeah and Gawain's kind of like ah, he goes back he like gives him like a, a coin you yeah know? but this is kind of beginning a common theme which is obviously in the poem of not games specifically but the exchanges yeah right this for that Mm -hmm. and i think the movie does a good job of really expanding on that idea and that theme in a lot of different ways and scenes yeah both subtly and not subtly like in this one moment when he's like what you're not gonna give me anything for that yeah and makes Gawain like give him a coin essentially Mm -hmm. but then he betrays him uh the directions are a trap and he and some of his other bandit friends uh set upon Gawain they take all his shit they break his shield they take the axe they take his horse yep everything he has they tie him up and they leave him and i really love this moment too when they have him because like it's so unlike any other arthurian legend we see Mm -hmm. where the knight is just like tied uh, up like he's uh he's jumped by like three children and is like terrified yeah and he's like i'm not a knight i'm not a knight like you said i was a knight i'm not a knight Like, he's just lying about who he is. I mean, he's not a knight. Oh, shit, he's not. You're right. Okay. (laughs) Because at this point in the movie, I didn't realize that yet. Yes. But you're right. He actually isn't a knight. Yeah. Okay. But it does seem like he's lying. It does seem like he's lying. It just seems like he's, like, very afraid in general and, like, fearing for his life. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not your typical depiction of the, the brave quest 
in this kind of a story. Yeah, similar to that, like, we get this really interesting shot. Oh my God, yes. Of, like, him as, like, this skeleton tied up next to the tree. Like, he's in the same posture, but it's just a skeleton version of him. It's so cool because, like, it's a shot of him tied up on the ground, and then the camera just slowly and meanderingly pans around 360, and we see... The season change yeah. as the camera pans around like into uh, summer, you know, and fall and then back to him and he's just a skeleton. Yeah. And then pans it, again, it reverses mm-hmm. and, and goes back. And this is another where the movie also, you know, it establishes this theme of exchanging. Yeah. I think it also does a really good job of like these continuous visual motifs that are really strong. One is just in this case that's really well examined is circles mm-hmm. and time. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense because like in the story, it's a year passing, right? Yes. Between when he first encounters the Green Knight and when he's supposed to come back. So this cyclical, mm-hmm. a year passes, but you're kind of returning to the same time. The same circumstance. Yes. And, uh, you know, we see this circle appear in the puppet show. Yeah. That changing seasons uh, circle thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wheel. The wheel. There's just like so many instances visually. And even in this case, it's the camera turning in place in a circle yeah. as time passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think what's really cool too is that the first trailer for this film really laid into this visual motif, mm-hmm. which is cool. I can't think of another movie that was like, hey, here's a really strong recurring visual yeah. in the film. Because otherwise I may not have been as like in tune to this from the get go if I hadn't watched that first trailer for yeah, it. Yeah. But like I was suddenly like very keen and aware of like all the circular imagery and relating to time. And it, it's really cool to see like when you're aware of it and how strong it is throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Gawain ha- is able to free himself um, by cutting his bonds free. Cuts himself, though, in the and process. <laughs> yeah, which I appreciate. I would definitely have done the same thing if I was trying to cut myself free. But he ends up at this kind of like abandoned house and runs into the ghost of this woman called Winifred. Yeah, and he finds out. And Winifred, I love her in the film. She's like kind <laughs> of really sarcastic, not sarcastic, but yeah. blunt in a way. Like at one point he like, because he can tell she's like maybe a spirit. He goes to touch her and she's like, don't touch me. She's like, why would you do that? Aren't a knight you- should know better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they go outside and she's like, a man attacked me in my home and cut my head off. Mm-hmm. And he threw it in the, the lake or the pond. Yeah. And I can't get to it. And I want you to get it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's like, well, what will you give me an exchange? That exchange idea. Yes. Yep. And she was like, why would you ask me that? <laughs> Why would you ever ask me that? <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay sorry. I'm sorry. I'll get your head. We have this like trippy moment of him in the water and like the lighting is all red, which I, I still don't really understand what it is because then he just grabs her skull and comes back up. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's, for me, I I don't know if there's a strong explanation for that. Yeah. But, but he, he brings her skull back to the bed and he sees that the rest of her skeleton is there, puts it on her and this is when like she speaks to him and she says the green knight is someone that you know Mm -hmm. 
which is interesting. Yeah. Because once again, coming back to that idea of like, who's behind this? Who's in on it? What's going on? Yeah. And then when he looks back, um, the axe that was stolen by that boy thief is there. Yeah, it just comes back to him. But not his horse, which not would his be horse. more convenient, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't get everything back, only the axe, which I guess in a way is all that's important. Yeah. Um, we get a part, and, and all these sections in the in the film have like their own little titles, which I like. Yeah. And this one is called, uh, is it the interlude? An interlude. A- an interlude, yeah. And I really love this because it's him just traveling on foot he makes friends with a fox mm-hmm. that's very cute. And follows him And everywhere. follows him, and I love the fox. Yes. But, like, really just showing the hardships of his travels, mm-hmm. like, the physical, like, strain of, like, traversing these, like, mountains. Being cold. Being fucking cold, like, having no food. Yeah. Uh, and just, like, the, the physical, you know, battling with the elements. Mm-hmm. Once again, where the poem was just, like, you know, and then, I don't know, there were wolves and bears and giants, oh my, and then he was at the castle. Like, it just glosses over all this. Yeah. I love the idea of, like, this sucks, <laughs> and he's, like, really going through it right now. Yeah, in fact, he ingests some mushrooms that might be magic mushrooms. <laughs> we're not sure, but he starts tripping. Are the giants that he sees part of his mushroom trip, or are they not? Good question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's, I don't know. I don't know at what point his mushroom trip ends. Yeah. I think the giants are so cool in this, though. They are very interesting. They're like, they look like they're stone, kind of. Like, they don't look super organic, necessarily. Yeah. They look more like kind of rock people. They're, they're also kind of like misty and foggy, though. Yeah, and very plain- to a degree, but I love there's like women and men and one of them's holding a child. Mm-hmm. I, I don't fully understand. He kind of asks for a ride. Yeah. And one of them reaches out for him and the fox kind of jumps between them and it seems like it's protecting him. And then there's a whole howling there's thing. There's a howl off. I don't know. Nah, yeah, it's a little beyond me, honestly, <laughs> but it's visually very cool. Yeah. And once again, after this moment, we get a shot of him walking and the whole camera just like flips flips upside, upside down. yeah yeah kind of giving us that inverted circular motif thing again mhm he is wearing a pretty cool mustard yellow scarf cape the costumes yeah in this movie adina <laughs> if this doesn't i'll say it if this doesn't win the oscar yeah. for best costumes I'll be extremely upset. (laughs) I mean, King Arthur's outfit. First of all, the crown. Yes. With like the halo behind it. I love the crown. Is so cool. Mm -hmm. And then he's got this cloak that has like these um, medallions on it. Yeah. And it's. So does the queen. Yeah. Yes. Hers are like little though. It's kind of like this intricate pattern of like metal pieces. Uh, His outfit in the film, uh, Gawain's of just this like bright yellow scarf that feels very iconic. Yeah. I mean, just all of the costuming and production design in this film is just off the charts. Definitely. The Lord and Lady, when we get to them. Oh, yeah. Have some great costumes as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it should win. I agree with It you. should win. <laughs> <laughs> the journey comes to an end, though, because he reaches a castle. Mm-hmm. In the book he's very lost and like prays to the virgin mary and a castle appears to him 
yeah. the movie The Fox sort of leads him to the castle. Yes. But either way, he ends up in this castle and meets the lord and lady of the castle, which we never learn their names, really. No. And they are super welcoming of him. They have heard of him. They yes. know his name. In the movie, they specifically know what he's doing at the Green Chapel. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Lord tells him, like, hey, stay here as long as you want. The Green Chapel is just, like, down the road. So you can kind of stay here, rest up a few days, hang out with us, feast, party, drink, and then go get killed. Like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, too, because in, in the book, it, it feels like the, the castle feels like kind of a lively place. Yeah. With, like, a lot of dudes, a lot of chicks. They're just drinking. Like they're there's, feasting there, every night. Yeah, there's like a whole hunting party and mm-hmm. like a bunch of women there. The film, though, it feels very like empty, isolated, isolated and creepy. Like not super welcoming. I mean, it is, but also like there's an unsettling quality to it. Yeah, let's talk about the book a little bit, and I guess bo- the movie too. But there's kind of this uh, new game proposed, which. Uh, Gawain should have realized that there was, some, there was something afoot when this super welcoming host is like, hey, what if we do like a little game? I don't know. An exchange? And he's like, I'm getting deja vu, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah. And so the Lord proposes an exchange. He's like, listen, it's my hunting time. I'm going to go out and hunt, but you should rest up here. So whatever I win during my day of hunting, I will give it to you. And whatever you win... Here, just being a lazy piece of shit, you give to me. Um, And Gawain is like, oh, of course, this is your house and I'm staying here. Like, I'll do whatever you want, basically. Yeah. So Gawain's just chilling while uh, the Lord goes on like these many hunting expeditions. These epic hunts. Which we get a lot of detail of. In the poem. Yeah. So he goes on three hunts. Uh, in, on one, he um, catches a deer. Another one, he fights like an ancient boar. And then another one, he catches a very wily fox. Yeah. And we get just like a lot of talk about the the tracking of them. The like the boar one is very violent and, and aggressive. Mm-hmm. And we also get like a lot of detail about how they are butchered. Oh yeah, a ton of detail. And um, people, like scholars have pointed out the fact that like whoever this poet was really knew how to actually like oh, butcher yeah. and like process like animals. So had that like experience. And it's, it's, in, it's described in kind of the same like reverence almost as like the outfits are described. That's what I was going to say is like, I feel like this author in a way feels so transparent about like what he knows about or is interested in. Yeah. Because he's like the outfits, the hunting and the butchering. Yeah. Um, he, He's outside a lot and there's some <laughs> there. I, I don't know. He travels and more clothing and butchering and butchering. <laughs> Like, it just feels like when an author is being very obvious about, like, what they're trying to convey. Yeah. And I don't know if this was, like, of interest to the audience at the time. Like, is this a point of interest that people would be like, yeah, tell me more about how you cut the loins from the the bone. I don't know. Tell me how you pulled the intestines out of the abdomen and then cleaved the uh, dough in half. And then you gave part of it to the dogs because, of course, they earned some of this meat. Right, rightfully so. Yes, exactly. 
yeah, these are just like three separate events that are just like a lot of the story. Like if you actually add like, up the lines. Yeah. Like which is interesting. And there's definitely ways that you could tie it into like symbolically about, you know, the Green Knight mm-hmm. and nature and some things like that. But also, how important <laughs> is it? Well, it's contrasted by three episodes of the lady of the house attempting to seduce Gawain. And we kind of know that this is her goal. She basically sneaks into his room before he wakes up and then is like, haha, hello. <laughs> and he's like, oh, hi. And this is so interesting to me, Ian. Yeah. Because this is literally like a social, an awkward social interaction. Yeah. That Gawain has to navigate. <laughs> like when you boil it down, he's literally like, okay, I'm going to be killed, right? Soon, yes. Probably. And I'm in the house of this man who is like really welcomed me. And his wife is like clearly wanting to get with me. Yes. How do I not like really offend her? Uh-huh. But also not actually sleep with her and not like promise anything to her because she wants me to like declare my love. But I also don't want her to be upset. And Ian... This is just so funny to me. <laughs> I have to say, this just reminded me so much of the sketch in Monty Python in the Holy Grail. Yeah. With the castle anthrax, I oh, think it's yeah. called. Where I think it's Lancelot ends up at this castle just full of like young virgin women oh, who yes. just want to fuck him. <laughs> and he's like, oh no. And then he gets like, quote unquote, rescued from it. Yeah, yeah. It just reminded me so much of that. Well, because there are, there's this code, right? The chivalry code. Yeah. And his knightly code too, where like he can't violate these laws of hospitality and what he owes to the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And also he knows that it would be wrong like to fuck his wife to commit <laughs> adultery like this woman is married but there's also the code of chivalry which is how you treat women mm-hmm. in this time which is basically like you don't make them sad at all yeah and you have to like be really polite and kind to them i mean when you say it out loud it sounds like bullshit but this is actually like yeah. what a lot of these stories are about so literally she keeps trying to get him to like make love to her verbally and physically and he's like trying to deflect like the whole time (laughs) and it sounds so exhausting for him because he's literally like i don't want her to be upset or offended but i also cannot do what she's asking me i mean she's sneaking into his room (laughs) yeah like first thing in the morning before he's like even woken up yeah uh yeah but like he he (laughs) he navigates he threads that needle oh yeah perfectly sounds exhausting oh my god it sounds terrible (laughs) like i he's probably like i just want to go back to sleep like this is i only so tired i only have two days to live and i just want to (laughs) sleep and i'm trying not to have sex before i die please uh but like the first day you know he manages to not have sex with her but like as she's leaving she kind of says something like well you can't deny a lady of the house you're staying in yeah so what if i just ask for a kiss Mm -hmm. and he's like all right i'll kiss you yeah And, and he kisses her And so when the Lord brings the deer back and is like, here you go, Gawain is like, okay, here you go, and kisses the Lord. Just gives him a big smooch. And similarly, on the second day, he gets, he gives two kisses, or he gets two kisses from the lady. So he gives two kisses to the Lord when he gets the boar. Yeah. And 
The third day, oh my God, what a surprise. The lady comes back. This time, three kisses. Yeah. Uh, but she's wearing a sexy outfit this time. She is. And it's interesting to make that connection between um, the Lord hunting the fox mm. and the lady this time changing her tactic. Oh, okay. Because a fox is cunning, right? It's yeah. a different type of hunt. So sh- this time she changes her tactic. She's wearing a sexy okay. outfit. And yeah. not only does she offer herself. Like a foxy lady. Exactly. <laughs> so not only is she offering herself to, to Gawain, she tempts him with something further. She tempts him with a girdle that she's wearing around, you know, her belt, middle area, and says that it's magical and it'll protect him. Yeah. And this is, and this isn't like in exchange for anything. She just wants no. to give him a gift. Yeah. And this is the only thing that is finally like, I mean, he's like, I'm scheduled to have my head cut off tomorrow. (laughs) This might be a good thing to have on me. (laughs) A magic belt that will protect me. And here's the interesting thing, Ian. It's not him accepting this gift that's wrong because the code of chivalry, like, he needs to be nice to her. And if she's giving him this gift, he must accept it, basically. Um, But it's the fact that he chooses not to give it to the Lord. At the end of the day. Yeah. But like, also, she's like, don't tell my husband. (laughs) And like, what's the layering? Like, what's the hierarchy of like, whose request outweighs whose? It's very complicated, Ian. Yeah. He needs like a whole manual to like navigate this situation. He's literally in everyone's like worst social nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I love how relatable this feels. Just being in a social situation where you're like, one person is pulling you one way, the other is pulling you another, and you're like, do I tell that person about yeah. this other other guy? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know how to tell this man that it's... And you inevitably make the wrong choice. Well, and it's also interesting, too, because he never, whenever he kisses uh, the Lord... Yeah. It, saying the Lord is so funny to me. I just think of God. I know. Uh, the Lord. The Lord, <laughs> our Lord and Savior. Whenever he kisses him, he doesn't tell him who it's from. Yeah. He kind of specifically is like, that wasn't part of our agreement. <laughs> I gave you the kisses, man. Yeah, you've got the kisses, okay? You've got the smooches. I've puckered up. And the Lord is always like, oh, like someone did well today. <laughs> The whole exchange is, like, so ridiculous. Yeah. Like, like, the second time, I think he starts by kissing his neck. Yeah. And I'm like, did she kiss you on the neck? Or are you being a little bit um, Forward inventive here? <laughs> are you being a little bit liberal with how you're returning these kisses? Yes, it's a very interesting it's, time. It's very... It's very homoerotic in a lot of ways. And there's a, there's a part later on that especially kind of adds to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, so... As he's leaving, or that night, he gives the Lord the three kisses, but he does not tell him or give him the belt. Yes. Let's talk about the movie, though, because the movie actually diverges from this story a lot here. Yeah. Um, It has been adding stuff this whole time, but this is kind of where it, like, doesn't stick to the source material as closely as I thought it would. You know, he gets there, he meets the Lord and Lady, and it's interesting, the Lady is played by the same actress who plays the sex worker that he's had a relationship with back home, Essel. Yes. So it's kind of like creepy in that way. Mm-hmm. And like maybe just furthering that idea of his attraction to her. Like she's kind of like embodying like the physicality of like who he's actually like in love with. Yeah. Their courting is less like, 
Like, I, I totally understand the deviation from the source material, because, like, the whole, I'm on a hunt, one kiss. Yeah. I'm on a hunt, two kisses. <laughs> I'm on a hunt, three kisses. And no girdle. And no girdle. Yeah, it would be, like, kind of overly repetitive and kind yeah. of predictable. And mm-hmm. I think it works well in the story, but uh, in this version, in the film, uh, he is kind of getting to know the lady. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of connecting, talking about... Uh, books she's like she seems very well read and scholarly Mm -hmm. we also get a really interesting scene where she wants to do his portrait yeah but what she actually does is take a really old school photograph of him yeah and this is an actual technique that i remember hearing about in art school where it's like if you're in like a totally dark room but you have a pinhole of light that Mm -hmm. you let in you will actually get like an inverse image of what is on the other side. That's fascinating. Yeah, which is exactly what happens. And I think even like maybe Da Vinci or artists of the Renaissance kind of like discovered this technique. I remember, and this is probably not an accurate source of uh, to be referring to, but (laughs) in some type of History Channel show, they were discussing whether the Shroud of Turin Turin was created by Da Vinci using this technique. Interesting. Of like this inverse, uh, like exposure. Mm-hmm. But so she, but this ties into, because when we see uh, Gowan in, during this photograph, like it's an upside down portrait. Yeah. And just once again, playing with that like inversion, that flipping of things. Mm-hmm. So I just once again, love the visual motifs of that moment. The lady has a really interesting speech too, where she talks about, why is this green night green? Like, what's the significance of the color green? And actually, I think this speech is sort of a, like, discussion, a larger discussion on this work in general. I agree. I'm mixed on this part, actually. I really liked it, actually. I did. <laughs> I liked, here's the thing, I liked everything she said. However, at a point, it also kind of felt like someone's college thesis. Yeah. Where I'm like, She's like, red represents these things and green represents these things. But I do love that about this story, though, because the green is nature, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Green is that, you know, and there's this kind of push and pull between civilization and nature, between like this guise of like chivalry and knights and goodness and then also just like the inevitability of like death and time you know yeah and the idea of like nature reclaiming everything at the end and that like no matter what you do like nature overrules all and kind of the idea too of green being like hopeful green being uh, a rebirth but also being decay and death yeah and it being you know, I think when we think of death as a color, we would think like red for blood yeah, or black or something. But like green is like a weirdly positive color, I think, mm-hmm. and representing nature. So the idea of connecting that with death is very unique. Yeah. And her connecting red and green, which I ha- kind of had to laugh at because I'm like, this is also a story set at Christmas. Yes. And you're talking about red and green very specifically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I liked, I-, I thought everything that was said was like really fascinating and interesting. I just maybe wish it was set up as a little bit more of a discussion and a little less of like. A speech. A speech, maybe. But I don't know. If I rewatched this, I might not feel that way. Uh, Gawain wakes up and the lady is there. And so we're like, okay, this is going to be like a seduction scene. 
Um, but instead of getting three separate scenes and then like the hunting scenes, we just kind of get one scene between him and the lady. Yes. And she's kind of coming on to him again. And at one point she reveals uh, the, the the belt. Yeah. The girder, the green girder. Which was taken by that boy. Yeah. And it's very unclear because he's like, where did you get that? And she says, I made it. And she asks him, like, do you believe in magic? And witchcraft. And we saw her, like, doing maybe tarot cards or some kind of, like, yeah. older version of that earlier. So I believe that she, like, has this, like, knowledge and practice. Yeah, but we're unsure if this is the girdle that his mother originally gave him and it was stolen or if this is a new girdle that looks exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not clear because, like, also, the old woman at the house is maybe his mom, kind of. Yeah. Because she's blindfolded like his mother was earlier in the scene, and mm-hmm. there's kind of a weird, intimate moment with them. Once again, what is going on and who's behind it? I don't know, but uh, the Oedipal ramifications are really weird, especially in this scene, because uh, the lady tempts him and is like, do you want this belt? And he says, I want it. And meanwhile, she's jerking him off. Yeah, she's like, how bad do you want it? Literally. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Fucked up and like kind of horny, but like very yeah. interesting. We we get like a literal shot of come of come on the uh, on the belt. Yeah, and on her hand and on her hand, and she tells him like you are no knight. Yeah, and she walks off. And in this moment, he looks over and the blind woman is just standing there. Yeah. And if it's his mom, Ian, that meant his mom was just watching the whole time. So (laughs) she might have been aware. She knows what what, I don't love it. No, it it is weird. But like, I honestly, I hadn't thought about this until that moment. But I'm like, no one else has acknowledged this old woman. Yeah. Like she might literally be an apparition. That's true. She might not be there. She might not actually be in the room. Mm -hmm. Uh. But, like, he is freaked out now. Yeah, so he takes off and runs away. And then he encounters the Lord in the forest, and the Lord is kind of like, hey, we need to exchange our exchanges. I know what you got, and I'm just going to take it. And so he kisses him. Yeah. But, like, I think the implication goes deeper than that, too, because, like, I think it could also be implied, like, I know you got a handy, and, like, I'm looking for that, too, because... Gawain kind of stops it and says, like, unhand me. Yeah. And kind of, like, ends, like, the interaction interaction there. And it's almost, like, fascinating because, like, to me, the implication of this scene is more like maybe the Lord is gay and he's married to this woman, so they're both sexually unhappy. And then they're like, hey, this dude just showed up, okay? So hear me <laughs> he out. He could be our third. You fuck him, right? <laughs> but then I'll make, like, an agreement with him that's very vague and open-ended. And he'll be like, what's that? Okay. And then, bam, he has to give me a hand job now. <laughs> Everybody's happy. Everyone's happy, but except probably Gawain for being used in that way. But yeah, interesting. It, it did kind of feel that way to me, like... um, the Lord was kind of like maliciously trying to trap him in yeah, something. Yeah. As opposed to like the first in, in the, the source material where, I mean, it is similar, but yeah, feels less ominous. Mm-hmm. But so. Gwen's yeah, like, fuck this. I'm leaving. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> he's like, I don't care if I get there early. Yeah. I'm going to the green chapel. I'm going to face the green knight. I'm going to do my duty. Let's go back to the book, though, and talk about how this scene plays out in the source material. Yeah. So Gawain is escorted partway to the chapel. 
he gets one last warning from this guy. A turn like, back moment. Yeah, he's like, there's a big dude there, man. <laughs> and he loves murdering. And nobody comes back. <laughs> How like, do I know he loves murdering when no one's met him? I don't know. He's like, listen, man, if you leave now, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say I saw you ride there into the distance and yeah. we'll all be happy. But Gawain. OK, here's a question. Is Gawain like the ultimate himbo? Yes. Because <laughs> he's just like this really, obviously an attractive man. Because yes. the lady was just really horny for him. Mm-hmm. But also he's just like, I have to do what's right. Like, I can't turn back on my word. Well, but think about this, though. He had to have a lot of mental dexterity to dodge the lady's uh, attempts to seduce him. But That's still true. be super nice to her the whole time and charming. So he's probably a lot more than a himbo. He is portrayed, though, as being very, like, pure and good. And, like, in this moment, he doesn't turn back. He faces the Green Knight. And the Green Knight is there. He's sharpening his axe. He's like, I'm ready. Uh, Lean your head down. I'm going to chop this thing right off. (laughs) (laughs) God, we we quote that line from Fantastic Mr. Fox so much. (laughs) It's not relevant at all, but I I had to say it. Um, but Gawain kind of kneels down and there are three axe strikes. What, like two of them, the green knight swings, but doesn't actually hit him. And Gawain like flinches. Yeah. The first time Gawain literally flinches away mm-hmm. and the green knight starts giving him shit for it. Yeah. He's like, I didn't flinch. Yeah. He's like, was <laughs> I flinching away? And he's like, I don't know what you are, man. <laughs> um, but then the second one he kind of, it's like a test swing to make sure he's not going to flinch. Yeah. And he doesn't. Yes. So then he does his third swing. Yes. And this is the one that barely nicks. Just kind of cuts his neck a little bit. And Gawain is like, all right, uh, you swung, you (laughs) shot your shot. I'm done here. Like, we are done here. That's it. (laughs) You shot your shot. (laughs) (laughs) But he's wearing the, the girdle the whole time. And this is when the Green Knight reveals, he's like, hey, that girdle you're wearing is mine. Yeah. Uh, I actually was testing you this whole time. And uh, guess what? You failed. He's like, I'm the lord of the manor that you were just at. And my wife made that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, she tempted you three times. So the first two swings of my axe didn't hit you because both those times. You resisted. Yeah. But the third time... You did betray me, but like it was only to save your own life. And so I kind of understand that. So that's yeah. why I only you like. You didn't fuck my wife. You just took a gift that would possibly save your own life. So I won't kill you. Yeah. He's like, I'll only like give you a scar. Mm-hmm. And Gawain is like so devastated to kind of like have been revealed both to himself and the Green Knight that he kind of like did. Have this weakness. Yeah. And. He agrees, like, because the the knight is like, the green knight is like, I want you to have that sash as a gift. And Mm -hmm. he's like, I will wear it as a mark of shame. Yeah, it's a reminder of of the sin of this weakness in him that, you know, when faced with a challenge to his honor, he did fear for his life and choose the less honorable path um, out of self-preservation. So, like, not the worst sin, but, like, also a sin, like, nonetheless, the Green Knight also reveals that the whole, like, Green Knight charade has been orchestrated by Morgan Le Fay. Yes. Arthur's sister, Merlin's mistress. 
a witch of incredible talent. And she was just trying to like test Arthur and his knights or just kind of like fuck with them, I think. But also he hoped that uh, Arthur's, why why do I keep forgetting? Guinevere. Guinevere, Jesus. (laughs) Also, he kind of hoped Guinevere would die of shock. (laughs) When the Green Knight... Apparently she doesn't like Guinevere. Yeah, when the Green Knight, like, stood up without a head. Like, that was, like, maybe the most... The the largest part of the plan was killing Guinevere from shock. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. A lot of people have kind of thought that the ending doesn't quite fit with the rest of the story. Uh, Of the book. Yeah, this explanation of, like, Morgan Le Fay being behind everything. I very strongly agree. Yeah, just kind of being like, wait, where does this come from? It's sort of out of left field. Well, it's kind of funny because it makes me think of, like, is all Arthurian legend in a way fan fiction? (laughs) Yeah, That just becomes canonized over time? Because it's like, I don't know, there's this general cast of characters and you can kind of just write whatever you want about any of them. And like, yeah, maybe if we like the story well enough, we'll, we'll keep telling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in this way, just felt like, oh, yeah, and it was uh, this character, this classic character that you all know and love Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, that's scam. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, does that make sense? Totally I unclear. I, yeah. Let's talk about the movie ending, though. So in the film, he uh, storms away from the castle, the lord and the lady. Yeah. He has his fox companion back with him. And as he's approaching the green chapel, the fox confronts him. And talks to him. And talks to him (laughs) in a very weird, creepy, kind of breathy voice. Yeah. But essentially is like, you should go no further Mm -hmm. because death awaits you. Yeah. And I'm like, is the mom also the fox? (laughs) Unclear. <laughs> Unclear. I don't know. I, I would suspect, but who's to say? Yeah. He kind of becomes angry at the fox and swings his axe at it and kind of like sends it running. Yeah. Kind of betraying their friendship. I know. And their trust that they've established. Me too. Yeah. Very upset. But he continues down the river, finally uh, encountering the green chapel. The design yeah. of it is so cool. Yeah. And I love that the green knight is kind of like... Um, w- like wooded himself. Like there's a bunch of branches kind of over him. Yeah, it's like he's planted there. Yes, like vines kind of flowing out from him, and he's mm-hmm. like asleep. Yeah, and I like to it. It makes sense because like he left the castle early. Yeah, so he arrives before Christmas. Yeah, and so the the, the Green Knight is like asleep mm-hmm. and resting. And like at one point in the night, and De- Dev Patel just has to, you know, uh, go sit in. there and wait. Yeah, just has to sit and wait. And like at one point in the night, his eyes are kind of open, and then he goes back to sleep until the next day, mm-hmm. until finally the Green Knight wakes up. Yeah, and we have a similar situation to the book where he kind of swings at him once, and Gawain flinches. Yep. And then he's like, "Oh, you flinched!" And so he's like, "Okay, I'm not gonna flinch. I'm not gonna flinch." Swings again, but doesn't do anything and then he's about to swing the third time and he kind of does and this is when Gawain is like I can't do this I just have to say Dev Patel's performance in this film is so good is so good like he really sells this scene so well yeah of like delaying the inevitable Mm -hmm. of this moment like He's about to die and yeah. has to just like kneel and, and take like, it. And like wait for it. And he just has so much trouble going through with it. And like at one point he tells the knight, just give me a minute. Yeah. And he's kind of just like bracing himself and like he's crying too. And after like a few 
I don't know, like 20 seconds past the night's like, are you ready? Yeah. Just kind of like, it's so... It's so awful. It just gives you this like feeling of the anxiety and the sadness of the scene. Mm -hmm. And when he actually like runs away on the third strike... I was like so stunned in this moment of the film. Yeah. Because he runs all the way back to his horse. Yeah. And then I'm like, and the horse being there is very sus. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I'm like, he's going to realize this is like a test and go back. But then he gets on the horse. He goes back home. He, he rides all the way back to fucking Camelot. Yeah. And then we get kind of the beginning of a montage. Yeah. Where he's clearly very distressed about what happened. There's no wor- There's no dialogue. In no, this. there's none. Yeah, we have a. There's like a sex scene of him and Essel where mm-hmm. he's like naked but still wearing the green sash. Yeah, and that recurs throughout this montage. Is he's he's always wearing it. Yeah, we see him get knighted by King Arthur. Yep. Um, we also see King Arthur die and kind of pass his sword and his legacy on to Gawain. And then we see, uh, Gawain crowned king. We see Essel, the sex worker, giving birth to his child. And we see in a devastating scene, him and Merlin, um, the wizard, taking the child away from Essel and like leaving money for her. So Mm -hmm. clearly being like, you know, you're being abandoned and your child is being taken from you yes we then later see gawain marrying another woman a more noble woman by the way the costumes again in this montage yeah the marriage scene like her outfit is fucking wild yeah so is gawain's like king outfit mm-hmm. um they get married and then uh, Gawain's son grows up. Yeah. He goes to battle and ends up dying. Gawain's kingdom is clearly on the decline. There's war. We get a scene of like the peasants throwing rocks at him. So clearly yeah. his popularity is declining. And then we get this moment where the castle is literally under siege. We can tell that an army is breaking in. His wife and child are like fleeing. Even his mother leaves his side. Yeah. And Gawain is like, okay, I guess this is it. And he kind of grabs at his middle, pulls the girdle out, almost like it's uh, his intestines. Yeah, like from inside of him. Yeah. And at the moment he does, his head falls off. Yeah. And like, it's it's so interesting because like throughout so much of this montage, you're kind of like, what's like, is this real? Yeah. And for me, until it starts to get really dark, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I think this is like all kind of going on in his head. Yeah. Uh, which ends up being right. But I think it's still very effective at like telling this story like all in like without any dialogue. Yeah. The decline, his like rise to power and mm-hmm. then his decline. And in this moment, like his attachment to this uh, this protection, quote unquote, this green sash. Yeah. And kind of how weak it makes him look mm-hmm. and feel and how shitty he is now and how death would eventually come for him no matter what. Yeah. And tying it back to, because after that moment, we cut back to he's still in the green chapel. Yeah. It was literally kind of like what in a what if scenario. And in this moment, when he sees like kind of what his future could be, he decides to remove the girdle. Yeah. And he's like, wait, and tells the Green Knight to wait and takes off the girdle. And then the knight is kind of like, 
oh, you brave knight. Well, and he says, my brave knight. Yes. Which kind of implies the knight is, the green knight is maybe King Arthur. Maybe. Or some extension of him. The fact yeah. he says, like, my brave knight, I'm pretty sure he says that. Yeah. Then he says, he kind of, he says, my brave knight, like, good work. Yeah. And he says, now off with your head. Yeah. And you're like, wait, is he going to kill him? <laughs> and then... It cuts to the title of the film, The Green Knight, and the credits. That's it. That's the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Him saying, now off with your head. Yeah. I have to say, Adina, <laughs> before my overall thoughts on the film, I love this ending so much. Yeah. I love a movie that is willing to end where the character... Because, like, you know, there's the question that you as the audience has that's kind of the obvious one. Yeah. What's going to happen when he gets to the green chapel? Is his head going to get cut off? Mm -hmm. Isn't it? What's, you know, um, but the real question, the real motive and driving force of this film is will Gawain find his strength? Yeah. Will he find his honor and his, you know, his motivation and drive? And that is, that question is answered when he takes the belt off. Yeah. And, the film has like the balls to be like, we answered the question. That's it. And that's, you know, you don't need to know. You almost don't, you almost shouldn't need to know if he lives or not. Yeah. Because the main question has been answered. And mm-hmm. I respect a movie so much that is willing to end in that moment. Yeah. On those like very uncertain terms. Because I don't know. I think it's super effective. Let's talk about which one we like better. Since I just was talking about the end of the film, I'll I'll hand it off to you. Um, so I don't know, I don't know how to say this, but I did not like this movie. You didn't? No. So I think it's super well made. Yeah. The performances were awesome. Like, there's so many things to love about it, but I hated it. Wow. I just can't explain to you why, but it was just very hollow feeling to me. Mm. Like, I just. I really didn't like Gawain. He felt so shitty from the beginning yeah. that it was hard for me to root for him. And he was so cruel to Essel yeah. that that like really, that really like kind of pricked me. Like I just felt like really upset about that. Yeah. And even from the beginning, not, not to mention like the flash forward when like her son is taken from her. Like that was such a devastating scene to watch. And like, I just don't know. There was like nothing that had like, heart in it that made me feel anything and I just felt like I was like it's such a good movie and well made and like I know so many people love it and I don't want to offend anybody including you who might have really enjoyed this movie I'm but deeply offended no I'm kidding but I just ah oh, I don't know what it is about it it just well, upset me it's very bleak it is bleak it's- and I hate I famously hate bleak movies Ian <laughs> I famously hate bleak movies if there's movies. one thing we know about you it's that you hate bleak movies and it's not that I hate sad movies because I love a good cry right it's just that when it feels like there's nothing to hold on to when there's nothing good to kind of root for or nothing like kind of that you care about, I just don't understand the point of me watching it. And like, this was just a really tough movie for me to watch. Mm. And it kind of upset me. 
And I also say that I really love the original manuscript. Like, yeah. I love the story. I love that it's kind of like this pure good knight being tested. And like, even though he fails, it's okay because mm-hmm. it's like, we're all human. You know, we yeah. all make yeah. mistakes and it's kind of about him like learning from that and choosing to be better, like moving forward. I love the like kind of game of the the seduction and yeah. like the lord thing i just think it's a really awesome story and i think it still holds up and i think it's still kind of fun to like read about and kind of read about like the symbolism and like the origins of the story it's like so rich in history so i'm gonna choose uh the book for this one okay wow this might be one of our <laughs> first like solid disagreements usually when we disagree it's kind of like now i will say i really did like reading this story as well yeah and i think it's super interesting because the book and movie almost take polar opposite approaches i agree in the book gawain is like chivalrous perfect yeah i feel feel like i said that weird chivalrous and perfect and pure throughout the whole story yeah and it's only at the very end that he kind of fucks up yeah and then he's like oh my god uh, I am just like normal. No, I'm human. Yeah. You know? And like, I have to wear this like badge of like my sins on me and everyone's like, okay, yeah, calm down going. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I really do like uh, the story and like, I don't think that would have worked for a film at all. Yeah. But I think for this poem and this story, I like it a lot and I yeah. think it works in that medium. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie though, takes the opposite approach. And I really do appreciate it where we have this story about he's not a knight yet, but he wants to be. And that's like kind of where his journey is leading to him. And the the opening of the film implies he will become a king someday. Yeah. But he's shitty. He is shitty. He's shitty to the people that are close to him. He doesn't he seems aimless and kind of cowardly. And I really love to an extent that the movie like his one good act probably in any middle portion of the film is him helping the ghost. Yeah. Um, but really throughout the film, he's pretty shitty the whole time. Yeah. And I kind of admire the film that like, it's only in those last moments that like the weight of this journey and his future and like where he's seeing his faults. It kind of gets through to him. Yeah. And he's willing to like take the sash off Mm -hmm. and kind of like get rid of this illusion of safety. And, but what is really just fear. Yeah. And confront like what is essentially he thinks going to be his demise. Mm -hmm. And so like, even though it's like super frustrating in a way to like watch him, throughout this film kind of like keep failing yeah to me it like is paid off at the end in that moment to like see that development finally like break through Mm -hmm. so like i felt like even though the film overall had like a bleak vibe to it i did like how annoying and frustrating gawain was and i actually really like appreciated how far the story was willing to go to make him unlikable mm-hmm. in ways. Uh, and for me, that kind of gave the ending like a payoff that I don't feel 
very often in movies where it's like you are really putting me through the ringer with him yeah to to, to get this moment this like kernel of truth at the end of it mm-hmm. um so that arc combined with i just think the visuals and production of this film like like i, I know you feel the same way like are just off the charts and it's like so well made and just telling like an epic fantasy like this yeah in such a unique artistic style is so rare and i really liked watching it so like I like the poem a lot, but um, I did really like the movie, too. And I think I'm going to go with movie on this one. Wow, I guess we can't be together anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The whole point of this podcast is that we can disagree. But uh, yeah, I did not like the film. I would not recommend it to people who get what? like stressed out oh, okay, yeah. by like movies. Um, and also uh, don't like a super kind of like depressing story. So... I don't think it's as depressing, personally. I, I know we're just, we're giving our own feedback, but, yeah. like, I don't think it's, like, super hollow. Like, I've seen some movies where I'm just, like, oh, my God, this is, like, the <laughs> most, I like, I, I can't. No, no, I agree. Um, And, like, the performances are good, and, like, visually, it's a stunning, stunning film. And, like, they don't really make a lot of movies like this, so it's kind of cool to see, see that. Um, But I think, personally, like, the story in the in the book like is just so good and like I don't know I honestly don't know if you'd be able to watch this movie without reading the original sto- like source material do you mm. think I, I mean you could but I think so I don't know personally. if it would be like as rewarding I mean I hadn't finished a good like honestly half of the poem when we watched it mm. um so I didn't and I couldn't remember like how it really ended I remember him just getting nicked okay yeah um which, by the way, I was just also so happy that they didn't do that scene. Yeah. Because how many times, like, it's super original for the time. Yeah. But, like, how many times in a movie have we seen someone, usually in anger, striking at someone, like, with a knife or shooting at someone beneath them? Yeah. Only to then reveal, oh, my God, they didn't actually kill them. They stabbed the ground beside them. Yeah. Or they, like, shot next to them. Like, that's, like, such an overdone trope at this point that going into that moment, I'm like, how are they going to do this moment? <laughs> and then they did it. They just fucking cut away. All right. So we disagreed. <laughs> so I guess you're going to have to decide uh, which one you prefer. And let us know, too. Yeah, I'd yeah. Love to I, I'd love to. I know it's, like, still in theaters and you have to rent the film. But hopefully as it becomes more available, people will uh, let us know. Yeah. Let's do lightning round. Let's do a lightning so real quick thing, I just want to mention that uh, in the book, uh, the author talks a lot about the thighs of the men in this story. <laughs> I noticed it specifically, like he talks about the Green Knight's thighs. And then um, in the part where he's talking about uh, Gawain getting like suited up for his journey, uh, the way that it's written is um, his thick thewed thighs, which um, according to this is like well muscled. Thick food thighs. Thick food. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I just remembered something else. I, I only had one thing, but I just remembered something else. Oh, yeah. We we vaguely alluded to, like, kind of some of the homoeroticism of this story, specifically with, I don't know, Gawain kissing the Lord yeah. many times, and the Lord <laughs> is like, mmm. <laughs> but also later on when Gawain is like, bemoaning like his own faults and follies and like everything he's like uh fucking women am i right i know he's like women are the downfall of all men (laughs) like if only men could like 
live without women or something. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I'm like, wow, Gawain, stop blaming women for you being a piece of shit. But but he uses all these biblical examples of how women are the downfall of men. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, Gawain, what are you suggesting here? (laughs) You just want to like go off and live a society with men? What's going on? Is he like, hey, I know you're like the Lord I talk to right now, but like, can you stay this big green muscular man for me for like, I don't know, a little longer? So next for lightning round, we have that scene in the movie where he visits the ghost woman, Winifred. Yeah. And apparently this is based on an actual, I think, Welsh saint legend. Yeah, because it did say Saint Winifred in in the title card. So apparently um, she was a woman who either refused her fiance's advances or wanted to become a nun. And her fiance was so upset at her that he cut her head off. Oh, my God. And but then where her head fell, a healing spring came up. All right. And it like healed people. And then her father reunited her head with her body and she came back to life. Wow. So (laughs) St. Winifred. Fun fact. What a story. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Last year, lightning round. There's just one moment in the film we didn't mention that I kind of liked where uh, the Lord is talking to uh, Gawain at the fire. Yeah. And he's like, what do you plan to get from this like whole encounter with the knight? And Gawain is like, honor? And he's like, (laughs) is that a question? Are you asking me? And he's like, no. Honor. Honor. (laughs) Final answer. Honor. (laughs) I just love that though. In that moment, like he still hasn't like fully grappled with like what it is he's even like seeking out in this quest or what is even like the purpose of it Mm -hmm. but it's a good moment but like it's also a good laugh too i think yeah so that wraps up our episode thanks so much for listening we forgot to mention it at the top but we're going to be putting out a bonus episode for all our patrons on the sword of the valiant sword which i think is very 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 loosely based on the gawain story but sean connery's in it sean connery's in it briefly i think it looks like it's gonna be real bad it's also like this for what i understand the filmmaker has made this movie twice yes this is the second time he's made it <laughs> from like the 70s second I'm, time's the I'm charm i'm very excited to discuss this movie yeah yeah me too it's gonna be <laughs> i hope quite bad <laughs> yes i hope so too but um if you're interesting in interested in hearing this episode and all of our other bonus episodes you can become a patreon a patron on patreon on patreon and uh then you can also find us on social media you can give us an apple podcast review you can just email us at coveredcreditspod at gmail.com just let us know what you think about this episode if you've read this poem if you've seen the movie what other ancient text you'd like us to talk about in terms of adaptation? How, how far back can we go in this adaptation journey? We're still discovering. I think Gilgamesh could be like the oldest. Possibly. I mean, we could do Beowulf. Yeah, we there, could. That is like, you yeah. know, it's older and it is a movie. <laughs> uh, just hit us up. Let us know. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.